Welcome to The Future Built Smarter, a podcast in which IMEG engineers discuss innovative and trend-setting building and infrastructure design with architects, owners, and others in the AEC industry. I'm your host, Joe Payne, and with me again today, I have my trusty co-host, Mike Lawless, coming from St. Louis, where you are iced in today. Is that right, Mike? Yep, we got a, a thin layer of ice last night, so it's great, great to be on the call with you again, Joe. Today, we're going to be discussing microgrids, a technology that provides emergency power for facilities that require uninterrupted operations. We'll be focusing on the application for healthcare, but the technology and its benefits apply equally as well for other mission-critical type facilities. Our guests today are Mike Zorich, IMEG's Vice President of Healthcare and a Mechanical Engineer, and Eric Vandenbroek, IMEG's Senior Director of Healthcare and an Electrical Engineer. Eric, to get us started, can you explain in broad terms what a microgrid consists of and how it differs from a traditional emergency backup power supply? Sure. Thanks, Joe. So when we think of a microgrid, it's really a collection of power sources in addition to uh, your normal utility source. It could be things like a, uh, a generator, it could be solar power, it could be wind turbines, it could be battery backup. Um, it is, it's a collection that is able to be decoupled from the grid if you have a power, power surge or problems with the power grid. Um, your microgrid will allow you to continue operating your facility while that power, uh, nor while your normal utility power is offline. And it has typically a controller that allows you to have a you know, seamless transition back and forth between the grid and off the grid. What it's not is just a collection of standby generators. You know, most hospitals and many other facilities have standby power systems that provide code required emergency power. So that really isn't a microgrid. The microgrid really takes it one step further and uh, uh, uses all these different sources together to really enhance the power, uh, power quality and power uh, delivery for a particular uh, institution. So Eric, I think some from a microgrid standpoint, we're talking about when we talk about different sources, it, it could be solar, it could be battery, it could be combined heat, it could be any any of those things, right? And I guess when you have an opportunity to pull all those things together on a microgrid, what are what are some of the advantages to a facility to having that those diverse resources, those diverse power supplies? So one of the areas that we're seeing this a lot is in in California right now. You know, this came really to light uh, recently, a lot of their wildfires uh, really damaged the power grid. And what this allowed them to do was utilize their battery, their solar, their their wind, and you know some of their standby uh, generation on site um, to continue to operate these facilities during those power outages or during the rolling power outages that they may that may occur. Um, the equipment is connected into the power distribution system very similar to what you would do for a uh, typical code required essential power system. But it's different in that, um, you know, you have a collection of this equipment and different sources that come together and can operate in a sustained manner for a longer period of time. So 
Zorich, as, as, you're, as we're working with our healthcare clients, and I mean, we've got the microgrid really crosses over from electrical systems into the, you know, how everything works together and supports, you know, the healthcare systems and the caring for those patients. What are you talking to your clients about as far as how they can start to think about this and how it impacts their facility? Yeah, and I think when the consideration of the microgrids really come up, you know, tying a little bit to what Eric mentioned, the resiliency component, you know, Lawless, you mentioned your ice den in St. Louis. People recall two years ago in uh, Texas, uh, we had some ice storms that were rather large and it shut down the entire utility grid. And there were a lot of hospitals that were tied to that grid that didn't have that resiliency. So that discussion about resiliency and wanting to have that um you know, that, that safety factor in case the, the regional grids become unstable is, is a key one. Another big topic of, of consideration with microgrids, and, you know, Lawless, we've talked a little bit about decarbonization with healthcare. Um, we've seen the big push from the Biden administration with the goals of 50% reduction by 2030 and then zero emissions by, by 2030. So there's big discussions that are occurring around decarbonization. A microgrid and the strategies around microgrid needs to be aligned with that. Not to say that's your only path to decarbonization, but it needs to be part of that discussion as, as it aligns to, you know, in a previous podcast you had, Lawless was talking about the quadruple aim. And I know decarbonization can sometimes become a political item, but with decarbonization, we talk about how do we reduce the cost of care? How do we enhance patient experience? How do we improve provider satisfaction? But the fourth one is improve population health. And that, that's, that's one, you know, from a moral obligation, we as healthcare designers, as engineers, it's it's proven that you know climate change and greenhouse gas emissions do impact population health and you know i really try to have that conversation when clients are asking about decarbonization to include that discussion about microgrids and how that plays into that entire plan i think the the question that everybody's going to have is how do the economics of this work out you know how how much is this going to cost and and long term you know what's the what's the long term economic benefit potentially of it the bottom line is implementing a microgrid does cost money, but in the long term, it can save your uh, your facility uh, operating costs when it comes to utility costs. If you think about it, you'll be able to you know control the power that you're going to deliver to that facility. Um, you'll be able to look at peak shaving, load shifting, you know, being able to control what equipment comes on um, at certain times of the day to help eliminate maybe some of those high peak utility rates uh, that you may be seeing. Um, you'll also be able to, to decouple that system potentially if you've got, you know, potentially a solar array set up or wind set up where you can provide power to that facility and really curtail the use of your utility power. That's going to save, uh, you know, what you're paying to that utility and utilize the investment that you've made in your facility. So it, you know, there is an obvious upfront cost to this, but the long-term um, benefits and payback could definitely be something that could be a, a realized benefit to a facility. And when we talk about the economics, I mean, I think it's hard to, to talk about that without asking about, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act, which we just had Adam McMillan on a previous podcast. How is that impacting the economics of these discussions as well? Well, to, to your point, Lawless, the Inflation Act definitely has non nonprofits, which is a lot of our healthcare systems in terms of their ability to rebate. So we are seeing, again, going back to the decarbonization, that that discussion is truly part of driving more growth and more discussion around this. In terms of the economics, you know, we're not necessarily sure what the total numbers that you can get from the, uh, you know, that act and, and otherwise, but it's definitely 
increase the discussion and the interest towards this. Um, you know, you ask the best point and, you know, clients are asking this, what's my ROI on this? And I don't know if you're truly going to have a necessarily an ROI. You need to factor in back to that resiliency. We don't have a crystal ball to know what future regulations are around this, whether around decarbonization, emergency power, you know, items like that. Think of it almost a little bit of, you know, potentially a little bit of insurance card, some of it a little bit of planning for future proofing and, and building in that resiliency is, is kind of that, that discussion. But you as an owner who are at least looking at this, the first thing is do a study. Take a look at your you know, existing campus. You may have some parts and pieces already there, not all of them. You know, Eric mentioned a little bit about solar PV. A lot of health systems right now are looking at solar PV, whether towards their decarbonization strategy or, or other type. That's a huge component within microgrids, right? It's a, it's a big source of that. So if you're looking down and having that discussions, you might as well wrap in the discussion and evaluate the, the microgrids as well. So building a little bit too on what, what Zoris just said, you know, right now these are not recognized by regulatory agencies as a, as a backup source, but there is a strong push that we may see these recognized as a essential power system source in the future. And if, you know, if you've got this online already and you're already working with these various components, um, you may be a step ahead when that, when that, uh, approval process does come to fruition. I know our, our friends out in California, uh, with HKI are really pushing this right now and they're studying this pretty, pretty in depth, um, and really trying to figure out if, if this could be a viable, uh, essential power source. And, you know, it's not just hospitals. I think we started out the um, discussion, you know, it could be medical office buildings. It could be other, you know, just general office buildings and other facilities as well. So it's not just, you know, not just something for healthcare. It could be something that, you know, you might see as a replacement for a central power source across the board in many different markets. I guess, if, um, Mike and Eric, as you look to the future of, of healthcare and you think about like solar in particular and where, where the price point for that is, in five years from now, do you think most healthcare facilities will have some sort of solar PV array to help back up their some of their facilities? Absolutely. I mean, I'll, I don't know a, a project of, you know, substantial size, whether it's a major campus expansion or a grain field that we're doing right now, Lawless, that doesn't have some component with solar PV in it. Um, it it's definitely towards the future. And, and even right now, I'd, I'd argue even some of the paybacks are, are, are coming into an area right now where owners are saying we, we have to do it. So truly, we're, we're definitely heading towards that direction, which again, ties into to microgrids really well. And so in healthcare, there's always, you know, you go to visit a, a hospital, there's always projects, there's always construction projects going on. So if you're a healthcare owner and you're you're working through the different projects and renovations of your facility, how do you get started thinking about a microgrid? You know, what are some of those first steps you might consider? So, you know, Zorich kind of said earlier on in the presentation, think about a, doing a study. And that's really a great place to start. And it's not so much, you know, the, obviously the economics are important too, but um, many healthcare facilities that are located in urban environments have a real space limitation. You know, you may be, may be able to put solar PV on top of a parking garage and, you know, you're going to have a certain amount of area there. There's roof area that you may be, might be able to utilize when there's not other, you know, rooftop equipment or fans or air handlers up on that roof. But space for this equipment is going to be critical. You have to find space for generators. You have to find space for the uh, solar 
PVs. You have to find space for the battery systems and, you know, potentially wind also. And then you have to figure out how you're going to integrate these into your distribution system and where your main services, where your essential switch gear is in the facility. You know, all that's going to play into how this might work in the economics, because, you know, as we all know, you know, the main power feeds to a facility and some of these essential power systems are the most costly portions of that system. So you really have to take a step back and look not only at the economics, but the space to make sure you've got the space to actually implement this. And I guess the other the question with that is we talk about economics and some of that goes into the resilience factor. How do you see health systems thinking about what they what the benefit is on the resilience side how do they take that into consideration on on their decision making and how does that you know impact how they're spending their capital budget well i i think you know the recent crisis with covid and going through that raising a, an awareness right we had, we had a lot of health systems from a resiliency standpoint looking at flex spaces and how do i you know address patient surge and, and items like that i think that has really changed the industry, not necessarily in terms of what do we do for pandemics, but what do we do? What if? And the what if questions are coming up all over. You know, Eric mentioned wildfire, climate change. You know, what do we do for, unfortunately, we're seeing uh, a a fair amount of cyber attacks right now uh, affecting some of our health systems. So that what if that really started from COVID is really driving a lot of those discussions. Um, You know, I think we've talked about on this podcast before, you know, CMS, uh, does require uh, tabletop sessions, disaster planning. And, and I think that all ties into that. And I think owners are looking at, you know, not only what happens if this event occurs, but what does that do to my ability to provide care? What does that uh, do in terms of my ability to serve the community where we're located? And, you know, it's hard to put a financial number necessarily on each one of those, but there's a much more deeper discussion around those types of emergencies and how we address them within our designs and also from from our operational impacts. And I think we've seen a lot of our clients look at this from a risk perspective also. It is, like Mike just said, it's very hard to put a, a dollar amount or a payback on, on something like this. So what happens if a critical, critical part or a critical facility goes down? How do you serve the needs of that you know, community or that population? And sometimes that risk is just too great and you know, you realize you need to do something. Other times that risk may not be so bad and you can you can get away without doing something potentially for a while. And and one thing I'll throw too, we're seeing a lot of health systems are looking at their inventory of facilities from a system standpoint. So, you know, the, going back to the microgrid, you know what, this, this building, this location, this campus may be our disaster preparedness facility. So we may not look at microgrids at every facility, but this might be the the main one where we make those investments, which may make it more financially viable versus putting it at each one of your locations. It, it's somewhat built around that entire resiliency strategy around your entire portfolio. It sounds like there's a lot of benefits, a lot of opportunity around this. I guess to kind of wrap things up, you know, I know we talked about a study, those, those sorts of things have been mentioned, but if you had some advice for, for healthcare owners on how to get started or how to start thinking about this, where, where, where should they start and, and kind of what, what should they take as that first step? Well, as to that point, um, there's been some recent surveys that I've seen just online and general discussions that you know, over half the healthcare facilities managers aren't even familiar with what a microgrid is. And about another third of them 
admit that they're only somewhat familiar. So this is something that's really very new. And I think there's a big education component with this right off the bat, too, to let people know what the benefits are. Um, you know, there's also questions that have been asked out there and discussions, you know, are you even starting to consider using a microgrid? And the vast majority of facilities have never even thought about it. So, you know, I think education is going to be really the first step and figuring out, um, you know, if this is something that might fit with your organization and your needs and, and what facilities may be critical. All right, Eric and Mike, uh, I think we've really had a, a really good high-level look at the topic of microgrids today, and I, uh, thanks thanks to both of you for, for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Listeners who would like to learn more about microgrids can read our executive guide on the topic. You can find that at our website. It's imegcorp.com, I-M-E-G-C-O-R-P.com. Go to our Insights tab and look for Executive Guides. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Future Built Smarter. Until then, thanks for listening and take care. <laughs>